0: All right, if you would, please uh, go ahead and grab a Bible, whether it's your Bible or the one in the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring one, you can take that and make it your own. We're gonna be reading one more time this morning from this passage that we've been looking at the last three weeks. It's in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So Isaiah is toward the middle of your Bible. And we're gonna be looking at chapter nine, which are the big numbers, and then verses six and seven. Those are the small numbers. Go ahead and begin to make your way there this morning. If this is your first time with us here at First SF, welcome. We are so grateful that you are joining us here on this Christmas week. Um, We have been spending the entire month of December looking at a promise that God made to his people 700 years before the birth of Jesus. You see, if there's one thing that the coming of Jesus can teach all of us in this room it is that God always fulfills his promises, Every single promise God makes, he will accomplish, and that's what we see in this story. Again, the problem is that he often doesn't do so according to our timetables. The hard part is waiting, and that's true now. It's true of, of this time when Isaiah was writing because he was writing to a people that the text says was walking in spiritual darkness. Theirs was a history of of, of, of spiritual darkness and, and wars and, and anxiety and fear and, and oftentimes despair. That was their story. And yet it was into the midst of this darkness that God gives them this promise. He promises them a savior, one who would be their ultimate rescuer he promises them a king that will be, outdo all of the other kings of Israel. He promises them one who will bring about the victory and the joy that their hearts long to experience. That's what we see in this text. And so I want us to begin by, once again, just reading this promise that God makes to Isaiah, again, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Verse 6 of chapter 9 of Isaiah. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So for 800 years, sorry, 700 years, God's people had been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And the amazing story of Christmas is that God fulfills his promise by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, as the fulfillment of this promise. In doing so, uh, Isaiah describes Jesus with four names in this text. And that's what we began to look at last week. We, We said that Jesus is wonderful counselor, which points to Jesus's incomparable wisdom. He was there at the creation of the world. He knows what is best for us. He he sees reality from God's perspective. He is God. So therefore, he has wisdom that we need. He is the wonderful counselor. We then looked at the name Mighty God. And that name's so important because really it is that one name that separates Jesus from every other religious teacher, leader in all of history. You look at the story of religion and the story of religion is this. uh, You'll have a leader that points people to God. Right, That's every religion. There's someone that comes on the scene and they, they teach, they give instruction about how to get to God, how to earn God's approval, or in some religions, how to become their own God. It's always one person introducing others to God. The story of Christianity is entirely different. It is that God came himself. And not only did he introduce us to himself, but he came to rescue us. That's the story of Christianity, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is Not just another baby, he is his mighty God. We then looked at the third name, the everlasting father. And this is one that is is new to many people because oftentimes when we think of God as uh, the the infinite being, we think of someone who, yes, may be all powerful. Yes, may be sovereign over all things, but we don't see him as a personal God. But Isaiah said he will be like an everlasting father. There will be love, there will be a relationship that God's people will experience with this one who is to come, this savior, which of course we see is Jesus Christ. Well, today, as we close out this study, I want us to look at the last name that is given for Jesus. And in this passage, we see the verse six, and then it follows it up in verse seven, that Jesus is called what? Prince of Peace. Out of all the names, I think this one has the most curb appeal. Does it not? It gets people's attention. Why? Because I think all of us long for peace. Um, I would would like all of you just to be very honest this morning. How many of you have come into this room today lacking peace in some area of your life? Just raise your hand real quick. My hand is raised, not just because I'm telling you to raise it. That's been my week. I've been studying this passage about peace all week long, and yet I've had to admit a number of times there are areas of my life where I lack it. I don't have peace. The world around us is a nonstop reminder of of the need for peace. Uh, Over this next week and a half, you're gonna see lots of reminders about what's happened in 2018. I would encourage you, go back and look at the world headlines from 2018. Each one of them will remind you of our need for peace. January, you had the, the major suicide bombing in Afghanistan. February, 17 students at a high school here in Parkland, Florida, were killed while attending school. March, you go a little bit further and you you see Boko Haram in Nigeria, you see attacks. The next month, you see a a chemical attack in Syria. The list goes on and on. Political division, uh, collusion with Russia, all of these headlines, trade war with China, all of them are continual reminders that this world lacks peace. And then the problem is we look at our own lives, our personal lives, and it doesn't look very different, does it? Uh, Christmas is two days away, I hope you know that. But I would imagine some of your homes look like the McAllister's on Home Alone after they wake up and their alarm clocks didn't work, right? They're all running around. That's what we do in San Francisco. We run at a very frantic pace from from thing to thing to thing to thing. And in the midst of all of our busyness, we have to watch out for poop on the streets and we have to worry about our rental rates skyrocketing. All these things are happening And in our personal lives, what does that do? It causes a lack of peace. It doesn't matter who you are in this room. We have to acknowledge at some point or another, we lack peace. We need peace. So the question becomes this morning, how do we get it? You're in this room. We raised our hands. We need peace in some area of our lives. How do you find peace? How do you get lasting peace? Not just peace that comes for a little bit and then leaves, but but true peace that lasts. Well, I would submit to you that you've got to go about finding peace in one of two ways. And I'm going to highlight these two ways in the form of, of two lyrics that were sang by uh, one of my dad's favorite bands, The Beatles. How many of you like The Beatles? Well, there's, there's two approaches that we can take to finding peace. The first is their hit song, We Can Work It Out. Right? We can work it out. There's a lack of peace. There's an absence of peace, but we can work it out. There were many people in Isaiah's day, including the the king of Israel, a very evil guy by the name of Ahaz, that that took this motto. He said, we can work it out. If we need peace, I'll just enter into this alliance with Assyria, even though God's told me not to. I'm going to enter into this alliance with Assyria. They'll provide protection. We can create peace through alliance. Well, I won't go into the whole story, but all that to say, it did not work out well for Israel. This decision to to enter into that alliance that he thought would create peace ended up leading to to their destruction and ultimately their exile. And yet, years and years later, today we sit here and do we not take this same approach? If I'm lacking peace, surely there's something within me we can work it out. If we can just get this official in office instead of that official, we'll have peace. If we can just get this treaty, we'll have peace. Peace if I can just change these circumstances in my life, I can have peace. But the problem, friend, is that thousands of years after Isaiah has written this text, we have no more outer peace or inner peace than they did at that time. In fact, the human quest for accumulating stuff and accumulating knowledge and technology and all these advances that we do, it's led not just to more peace, but in many ways, it's led to less peace. Social media, my goodness, less peace. There's one secular writer that noted all of this in a writing called The Paradox of Our Time. And I want to read just a portion of that writing to you. He says this He says, We have conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted our soul. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. Plan more, but accomplish less. We have more weapons, but less peace. Higher income, but less morals. More parties, but less fun. More food, but less appeasement. More acquaintances, but less friends. More effort, but less success. These are times of fast food and slow digestion. Tall men, but short character. Steep in profits, but shallow in relationships. These are days of two incomes but more divorces. These are times of fancier homes but broken, fancier houses, but broken homes. There's an absence of peace. You see, this phrase, we can work it out, it sounds admirable. You sound really strong when you say it. I can find my own peace. I can make my circumstances to bring peace. But at the end of the day, both human history and your own heart tells you the truth. We can work it out, does not cut it. We can't work it out. We cannot bring peace, which leads us with only one other conclusion. And that comes in the form of another Beatles song. And that's this, help. We need somebody, help. Not just anybody, right? We need somebody. We need someone outside of us to bring peace, but it can't just be anybody. And that is the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that only true lasting peace. The only way you will find it is by coming to and submitting your life to the one who the Bible calls the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Jesus brings peace. That is the main message of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven. He brings peace. Now, candidly, when this promise about a prince of peace was given to the the Israelites, they most likely interpreted this through a military lens. When they heard that God was gonna send a prince of peace, they expected that that someone would come and would become king and he would rule like all the other major earthly rulers, that he would have a physical throne, that he would come and conquer the the enemies of of Israel and that he would bring about a time of prosperity and, and military peace for the country of Israel. That's what they were expecting. And frankly, that is why they missed the Messiah. That's why they missed Jesus. Because Jesus did not come as a triumphant warrior, but instead he came as a sacrificial suffering servant. Everything about Jesus's life from his birth in, in a manger to his death on a Roman cross, none of it was what they expected. We've talked about that a number of times. And yet that does not mean Jesus did not fulfill his mission. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He did bring peace. It was just a very different peace than what they were looking for. And one of the ways that we see this is is in the announcement of Jesus's birth. We read about it every Christmas. There were shepherds in the field and I want you to hear what the angels say to these shepherds. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Imagine that scene. Behold, I bring you good fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So think about what they're looking for. This savior sits on David's throne, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that is incredible news. For hundreds of years, they've been waiting for God to to fulfill his promise. The angel shows up, says, his promise is being fulfilled. The Lord is here. But I want you to hear what the angels say in verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want you to lean into the text here, okay? Look at what the Bible says. Do the angels promise peace on earth in some general way? No. What is does they promise? They say, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's in other words, what he was saying is there will be peace for those who receive the favor of God with, with whom those who, who have a right standing, a right relationship with God. Peace has come for them through Jesus. You see, if Jesus was supposed to bring peace in some general kind of way, then something went terribly wrong. Right after Jesus is born, what happens? Herod gets jealous and kills every baby boy two years and under. Jesus' birth is literally followed by genocide. If he was bringing peace in a general way, something went wrong, but that's not the ultimate kind of peace that Jesus was bringing in his first coming when he came as this baby born in a manger. No, the ultimate peace that Jesus brings is is not a general peace, but it's upward peace. What I I would call upward or vertical peace. By far, this is the most important kind of peace, friend, that you need, whether you realize it or not this morning. God sent his son to bring peace between us and him. He sent his son to, to make those of us who are sinners, who are enemies of God, to turn us into friends of God children of God. We read about this in Romans chapter five. I think it's one of the most clear places you, you see this, this, how this unfolds. In chapter five, verse one, it says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace, God's unmerited favor in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, Paul is reiterating something you're gonna see all over the Bible. And that is that the only way we can have peace with God, the only way that we can be in a right relationship with God, for us, Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, through trusting in what Jesus has done for us. That's the way we become friends of God. Now, I realize that for some of you in this room, that may seem very odd because you've never seen yourself as an enemy of God. You know that you've messed up at times, you know that you haven't always done the right thing, but you'd say, I'm not an enemy of God. I'm a very good person. I've done moral things. I've been good to people. I've, I've done the right thing mo- the majority of the time. Therefore, I can't be an enemy. Well, unfortunately, the, the Bible tells us God's perspective and his perspective of your friendship status is a little different than that. You see, when you go to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you you find one very important truth and that there is only one creator, eternal God. There's only one who is enthroned in the heavens. There's only one who knows what is true and what is not true, what is right and what is unjust and what is wrong. There's only one who is the authority, has the worthiness to be the authority of our lives. And his name, unfortunately, is not Ryan. It's not Tim, it's not Julie, it's not fill in the blank with your name. It's God. He's the only one. There is only one God. And what we find in Genesis is that when Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, they made the same mistake that every single one of us in this room makes. Instead of worshiping God, instead of uh, living in fellowship with him, which is what we were created for, instead of doing that, they said, you know what, God, we're gonna do things our way. They looked at God's commandment and they said, I don't know that we can really trust him. I think he's maybe holding us back. I think we know better than he does how we should live our lives. So they took of the fruit and they ate. They broke God's commandment. In big ways and small ways, each one of us have done the same thing. We've said, you know what, God, thanks for being my creator, but I'm gonna do this life my way. I'm gonna live as I wanna live. I'm gonna, I see your commandments, I'll follow some of them, but when I need to break them, I'll break them because that's what I think is best. And what we don't realize is that one decision breaks our fellowship with God. It creates this chasm that, of, of enemy where, where we become enemies. We walked with God. He created us for relationship, but now we're enemies of our own volition. We've chosen ourselves as king over him. Friends, that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth because we could not make peace between us and God. We could not bridge the gap between unholy people and a perfectly holy God. We couldn't do it. There was nothing, no matter how many good works we do, we couldn't cleanse ourselves of sin. So God came for us. He came in the flesh to save us from our sin. He did this, of course, by dying on the cross where he stood in your place. I hope you know that this morning. The reason Jesus went to the cross was for you. He stood in your place taking on the punishment for sin that your sin deserved, but he took upon himself. The Bible says that the full force of God's wrath was placed upon his son, Jesus, on the cross. And that by doing that, by him taking on that punishment, he made a way for you to be cleansed of your sin. He made a way for you to be forgiven so that you could enter back into that relationship with God that you were created for. That one where you can experience joy and intimacy and peace. Jesus came for this purpose. Today, forgiveness and peace is available to you because of Jesus. But you have to get past this whole We can work it out. It says that you have to humbly come and submit your life to this king. You have to bow your knee to this prince of peace and give him your life. And when you do that, he will cleanse you of your sin. He will give you the help that you need. He will bring peace into your life. I pray this morning, if you're in this room and you've never had that peace with God, that only Jesus can bring, that today you'd simply receive it, that you'd admit your need for a savior, you'd admit your need for Jesus and that you would turn to him this morning. What's so cool though, is that as you begin to experience this upward peace, that, begins to, that peace begins to, to go in other directions. That upward peace leads to outward peace. We read about this in Ephesians chapter two, where it says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that. We've been brought near. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now what this passage is primarily talking about is the broken relationship between Jews and Gentiles, which Gentiles in essence are anybody that's not a Jew, okay? There're then this brokenness and so what this passage is saying is God has taken these two people and he's made them into one. He's created a family through the cross. Now, that matters. It matters here today because here's what it's saying that on the cross All of these divisions that we put up in our human relationships, all of them fall away. You think about the division in our country right now, division over over economics, division over race, division over backgrounds, over, over all these different things, age, all these divisions that happen. What Jesus is saying here is that because of the cross, through the work of the cross and this peace that we have with God, it creates peace outwardly. We're no longer we enemies of one another. No longer are we in competition with one another, but we are family. Friends, that is the only way this whole thing that we do on Sunday morning, it's the only way that this works. I mean, you look around, there are people from every different background, every different socioeconomic class. We've got married people and single people, old people and young people. The only way this works is because at the cross, all of us are brought into peace with God and brought into peace with one another. The peace that we have with God, it it transcends the differences that we have in this world. And so this upward peace leads to outward peace, but not only that, it also leads to inward peace. And I would imagine that's what many of you came in here looking for today. Inward peace. When you're in a relationship with God, what happens over time is you learn that he is a savior who loves you. He's a savior that you can come to and, and you can bring your greatest fears your greatest struggles, your, your, your most uh, hard circumstances, and you can bring them and you can bring them to his feet. And over time, you find what happens. The more you bring them, the more you come into his presence, you find that peace is actually not found in circumstances. It's found in him. You see, his, his peace fights for us. I love what it says in Philippians 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the problem with the peace that the world offers is that it is always fleeting. Why? Because it's always based in circumstances. If I control, then I have jobs going well, if my family's doing well, if if all the things are kind of going and it's all under my control, then I have peace. But when those things aren't true, when the job's not going well, when family relationships are broken, when, when things get out of your control, what happens? We lack peace. That's the world's peace. Jesus says, I have a totally different kind of peace, but it's found in me. Christians find that peace is not found in circumstances. It's found in relationship to a person, Jesus Christ Christ. We've seen this firsthand over these last months uh, with many Christians up in paradise who literally have have lost everything. Lost everything due to fire and yet they gather together with great joy and serve one another. That is a peace that surpasses understanding. Doesn't make sense to the world. Uh, I see this in my friend Donnie and Amy and I've told you many times about them. Their son is, um, uh, is dying of cancer. Without a miracle, he will die very soon of cancer. And yet every single day, instead of having bitterness, instead of being angry with God, no, they pour out their lives for others and they live with a joy that is contagious. That's peace that is surpassing understanding. I've seen this in many of you in the last year. Uh, there's been a number of you who have, who have lost jobs unexpectedly and yet instead of getting angry at God or, or being totally thrown out of, of your whole life, instead you have this peace, you have this confidence that even in the unexpected, God is at work. That is a peace that surpasses understanding. Christians experience inward peace. So in summary, Jesus brings peace. He brings peace with God, upward peace, which leads to peace with others and peace within. But there is more good news in this text because here's the thing, the kingdom of peace that was inaugurated at Jesus's coming, at his birth, it says in this text that that peace is going to continue to grow. His kingdom is going to grow until the day that he returns. And his kingdom comes in all of its culmination. The climax of the kingdom where we get to enjoy him forevermore. You see, not only does Jesus offer you peace in the present today, but here's good news for you. This Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he rules for eternity. He rules for eternity. And that's what we read in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. What what this tells us is that Jesus's kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness is unlike every other kingdom the world has ever seen. Uh, recently, I've been reading a lot about Winston Churchill, who's a super interesting historical figure. There's a lot that's been reading, uh, written about his life and legacy in recent years. But, but Winston Churchill was, of course, the, the British prime minister um, that led England to victory in World War II. What I find interesting is that right after the, the Nazis were defeated, Papers all over England declared peace and they, they lifted up Winston Churchill as the leader that England had needed in their time of need, all of them. In fact, in May of 1945, Winston Churchill had an 83% approval rating, which in our day you see, yeah, that's pretty good, 83%. But here's what I always found interesting. In July of the same year, 1945, just two months later, he and his party were swept out of power. You realize that? 83% swept out of power two months later. But is that not how earthly kingdoms go? We, we have kingdoms and they, they rise and then they fall. We elect one official and as soon as we elect them, we're like, how do we get that person out so four years later we can put in a new official? Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. That was Israel's history. They had a ton of kings and many of them were very bad and every kingdom promised peace and justice and righteousness And yet every kingdom failed to do so. People of the Old Testament were longing for a king that out-kinged all the other kings that would ultimately bring about their peace and justice. And that's what makes the angel Gabriel's message to Mary so important. And I want us to, to, to look at that in Luke chapter two. It says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forevermore, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I want you to see that just to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. He is the king that Israel had been waiting for, and he ushers in a kingdom that is unlike every other kingdom. Why? Number one, Jesus's kingdom is growing. It's growing. It says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That's proven true in every way. What started as this ragtag group of 12 disciples around Jesus grew to 2000 and then to thousands more and then to millions. And now today there are literally billions of people in the kingdom that have been changed by King Jesus. It has continually grown persecution can't stop it. Opposition can't stop it. It is a unstoppable movement. But I have good news for you this morning. If you are a Christian, that is the kingdom you're part of. You're part of an unstoppable movement of King Jesus. I wonder how many of you live out your life with that perspective. That you are part of his kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness. How many of you share that peace, that upward peace that you have with God? How many of you this Christmas season have told anybody else about how they can have right relationship with God? How many of you have worked for justice this last year? How many of you have lived righteously for the good of others? We are part of Jesus's kingdom. We're part of the growth of Jesus's kingdom. That's something that we get to live out today. Are you taking that for granted this morning? This text also tells us that Jesus's kingdom is without boundaries, all of our modern kingdoms, they have boundaries. That's why we have visas and passports and borders. But Jesus's kingdom, we see it in the book of Revelation. No, it, it, it consists of every person from every tribe, every language, every tongue. Finally, Jesus's kingdom is eternal, which means Jesus has no successor. Jesus will not ever be voted out, nor should we ever want him voted out. There's no one as wise as King Jesus. There's no one who looks out for your good as King Jesus. There's no one as powerful as King Jesus. There will never be another kingdom. We get a glimpse of Jesus's kingdom in all of its glory, at its culmination in the book of Revelation. And we're gonna end with this. In Revelation 21, verse three, it says this, "'And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "'Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man.'" He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Friend, if you're here and you have submitted your life to Jesus, you are part of this kingdom. And the good news is that the, bits and glimpses of peace and justice and righteousness and his presence that you get now there will be a day where you get to experience that for eternity there will be a day where where your relationship with jesus will be unending it will not have any obstacles there will be a day where you'll experience this word peace in all of its glory because that word old testament word for peace is not just the absence of hostility it's it's complete wholeness it's flourishing In other words, where there is poverty in your life now, there will be a day where there will be prosperity. Where there is illness in your life now, there will be a day where there will be health. Where where there is death now, there will be a day where there will be life. And better than all of that, where there is alienation with God now, separation, there will be flourishing in his presence forever. I don't know how many of you have read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a fantastic series, but one of my favorite portions comes at the very end of a book called The Last Battle. At the, last, at the end of The Last Battle, you find Edmund and Peter and Lucy, and they're in the presence of Aslan, and they are literally looking at all of Narnia in its glorious beauty. As they look out, they can see their family at a distance. They can see friends from their journey along the way and and their eyes can hardly imagine all that they're beholding in that moment. But as Aslan, who is the lion, he represents Jesus. As he looks at Lucy, he sees that she's not as happy as, as she should be in this moment. This was the end of all the battles. It was over. And so I wanna read to you just this last piece from the last battle. He looks at at Lucy and he says, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back to our world so often. But then Aslan looks at her and he says, now, 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 no fear of that. Their heart leaped and a wild hope rose within them. And this is with Aslan looked at Lucy and he says, He says, your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover of the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, that is the kingdom that we will experience for all of eternity. That is the kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness that is available to you. Now, I know that some of you sit in here and you say, Ryan, that is fantasy. This is all fantasy. There's no justice like this. There's no peace like that. There's no kingdom like this. If I were to say we could work it out, if that was our motto, I'd say, yeah, it's fantasy. But my favorite line in all Isaiah comes at the very end of this whole passage where he says what? He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This peace, this kingdom, this righteousness, this justice is not dependent on us. It is dependent on the Prince of Peace, the one who is boundless in his resources, unlimited in his power. He will accomplish this. I end by simply asking you this question. Are you part this morning of this kingdom? Are you part of this kingdom? Have you ever bowed your knee to this king, the Prince of Peace, who came and died on a cross so that you could be brought back into relationship with him? You can know his peace this morning. Bow to him. Trust in him. Believe him. He wants to bring you into relationship today. If you're a Christian and you're in this room, you've, you know the Prince of Peace. I would simply ask you, in what areas are you leaning upon other things in this world to bring peace when he's there? You have a relationship with him this morning. Only You will only find peace, not in your circumstances, but in him. Today, we look forward to a kingdom. We wait in this Advent season for the culmination of Jesus' return, of his kingdom, where this promise is given to us. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. For this we wait. Let's pray together. This morning, as we take this moment to pray, I just wanna encourage, if there is anyone in this room that is here and you do not have upward peace with God, You've never received the forgiveness that Jesus has brought about through his death and his resurrection. You've never bowed your your knee to Jesus and said, I want you to run my life. I, I can't do it on my own. We can't work it out. This morning, would you simply go to Jesus and say, I need your peace. I need you. I want to begin to walk with you. I want to exhibit your peace. I want to live in your peace. This morning, all you have to do is ask. Turn from your own selfishness. Turn t-torn your, t-torn from your stubbornness and say, Jesus, I need you help. If that's you this morning, I would just encourage you. Talk to me. Talk to one of the other pastors. Talk to someone that is sitting next to you, around you this morning. They'd love to help you know what it means to follow Jesus with all your life. We would love to help you in that. This morning, we're gonna have some time for prayer, and I just wanna encourage you. Spend this time with the Lord. Spend this time with the Prince of Peace. Many of you came in here with burdens. You came in here with anxiousness. You came in here with fears. The Prince of Peace stands ready for you to come to his throne. Today, you can receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. Go to him with gratitude. Go to him. Present your request before him. We'll give you this time of, to quietly spend time in prayer and I'll come and close this in just a moment.